Welcome back to another episode of the Real Estate Experts Podcast. I'm your host, James May, alongside Alexander and Brian Burry. Brian has been in the real estate industry for over two decades with over 2,640 residential sales, short sales, commercial, land, retail, office, and new construction. Brian, how are you? Very fine. How's yourself? Doing phenomenal. Doing phenomenal. Thanks for asking. Xander and I always love to ask this first question is how did you get started in real estate and what motivated you to get into the field? Well, everyone's a different story in life and mine's very unique in the sense that I bought two duplexes from a nice family and their daughter owned the next five duplexes. And I ended oh, wow. up her mow lawns and helping, uh, she helped me paint and wallpaper. And I asked her mom, I said, do you think Joyce would go to a police dinner dance banquet with me? And she goes, yeah, you should ask her. So I did. And we as much as merged as married because everything I learned in real estate started the foundation for my wife and her family. That's awesome. And you said, wow. can, can you walk me through what, what you said? The, the dance? I have never heard of that before. Oh, uh, every police department has an annual dinner dance. Might be an awards contest, oh. things of that nature. And I was a police officer at the time. And so I purchased these two duplexes for her mother and father. And I would go over there for lunches while I'm working on the duplexes, fixing it up to get them to rent. And her mom would always make me a nice sandwich or something. So I asked her one day, I said, I've been helping your daughter on her duplexes. Do you think she would consider going to a police dinner dance banquet with me? She said, yeah, you should ask her. But what's funny, she's one of uh, eight children, six girls, two boys, the oldest of the girls. So I got the best of the bunch. And her mom hmm. said, well, about a year later, after I married her, I was going to marry off to one of my daughters, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Wow, crazy laugh. story. Uh, I'm curious, how how deep-rooted is her family in real estate? How long have they been doing it? Well, it's really a, a good question because they were actually merely investors. They were never selling, buying, or whatever. Okay. But they he uh, grew, they grew up in Minnesota. He was the number two boy, so the number one boy got the farm. They moved to California in the early 50s, <clears throat> or I wouldn't have met my wife. And uh, I was in California with my family, and his first job was washing mud off of cows. And then he became a diesel mechanic, a heavy uh, truck mechanic for a food uh, canning company. And he did that all his life. He never made more than $2,200 a month in his life. And wow. by 1975, they retired. They had 50 five-zero rental properties at about $600 a month, 30000 a month cash flow because they owned them all free and clear in those days. It was a lot of money. Oh, yeah. As they Moved up to Lake Shasta, <clears throat> Joyce and I got our real estate licenses because Joyce didn't like paying commissions on those big $30,000, $40,000 sales we were making. Oh, uh, yep, yep. <laughs> and so uh, they ended up buying, uh, selling all the properties here. We, we managed and sold them for them. They kept trustees on 10, and then he bought 40 more by Lake Shasta in Reading. And so her mom just passed last year at 96 and a half, but her last property age 89. Wow. 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 Well, I definitely really am awesome. sorry about the loss for sure. Oh, that's that's okay. She lived a wonderful life, but I I, uh, I learned so much from my father-in-law. He taught me how to change out garbage disposals, water heaters, fix broken windows. I learned so much working with him. And then he retired and went north. And so then I managed uh, off-duty as a police officer. I come home and take care of all the rental properties. And then we got our licenses. I thought, well, I'll help my wife. I'll, I'll get my license. And so we did that. At uh, the end of 76, we studied, took the test, and February 77, uh, we both got licensed. And it turned out I was the client development person at the team. Got it. Got it. Wow. And were you always in the Central Valley? 
No, I was a Santa Ana police officer who lived in Santa Ana and, and down in Laguna Hills for many, many years. And Fresno okay. PD was expanding in 1994. I was invited to come up and, and join them, which I did. And I worked through 2011. They brought me back again as a sex crime detective in 2013 to 2015. I totally retired from the department in 15. But my entire real estate career with my wife and our team, and we've always been a team, all right, now our daughter is our broker and her husband is, uh, so make a four for one, we call it. But uh, the point of the matter is working as a team, we were very, very effective. And so I would have all these police officers that saw me driving a lot of nice cars and having nice homes. And they wanted the same thing. They trusted me. And that's how we got so many of our clients and their families and friends. Wow. That's awesome. Well, I do actually want to thank you for your service because I, you know, I know you sent us over your your resume and you you were a police officer. You you did some military service as well. So, um, you know, genuinely thank you for your service. Obviously, none of us would be here if it wasn't for 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 the hard work that you guys do. Um, you know, that's that's so awesome that you get most of your clients from. Well, at least you got a lot of your clients from being in the military, being a police officer, and kind of just being extremely involved in the community. And that'll kind of segue into how do you maintain how do you manage and maintain this many leads? I'm sure you have, I'm sure your lead list is absolutely massive. So how are you maintaining and managing that? Very good question. And we have a very simple low cost program. We don't spend more than 4,000 a year in marketing. But what we do is we have a newsletter that goes out. We have information twice a month that goes to all of our clients. We make periodic calls to clients just to say, hi, how's it going? Maybe give a little market update and tell them we sure look, appreciate referrals. Always got to mm -hmm. ask. Don't ask, you don't get. And so right. then police department, they have an annual family picnic. So we give all kinds of door prizes and things to the children, the families for the picnic. They have an annual dinner dance banquet. And so we always give the grand prize like a cruise for two or a weekend at the coast at a hotel and everything included. And that's our primary marketing. And lastly, they have an annual sign up for the matrix center for the police officers. So 300 patrol officers are signing up for the shift they're working, what days, vacation, whatever. And that starts at six in the morning and goes on to about two in the afternoon. We have a little booth. And wow. uh, those are three things that we do. I've given away handguns and large screen TVs and whatever is the drawing pies at the uh, matrix. <laughs> so our contacts are very much me showing up at events and, and us trying to keep a real good finger on the pulse and always being available, always being available. Seven days a week, you can mm -hmm. get a hold of them. Okay. Okay. And so, so, so let me ask. Um, do you think your strategy is still going to be effective for real estate agents coming into this space, right? Since we're moving digital, we're moving into the marketing world. Do you still think real estate agents to kind of take a similar approach to you as being that in-person guy that I'm sure you walk, I'm sure you're a celebrity in your town. You walk down the streets and everyone knows who Brian is. So, you know, what do you think about that? I think there's always different variations to do things. I was a Green Beret medic and my special forces doctors taught us there's five ways to teach something and other 10 variations to do it. It's the same in real estate. You know, doctors practice medicine and lawyers practice law, practice real mm -hmm. estate, right? Mm -hmm. And so what happens is the social farming, and a lot of people can do that, could be with their clubs, their churches, their neighborhoods, whatever they want to do, is very essential. And, and learning to ask the right questions. Do you know I've made literally hundreds of thousands of dollars just saying, who do you know who? When I say, who do you know who may want to buy? Who do you know who may want to sell? Who do you know may want to invest? All those questions I ask is for the fact that 
We want listings, we want buyers, we want investors. We cultivate all three of those areas to really develop our business. We have portfolio clients that are police officers that own 30 properties over 12, 14 years. And so those portfolio buyers are excellent. There's not a lot of emotion buying and selling. So every time opportunity, I don't go anywhere without talking about real estate. Eat, sleep, and breathe it. I enjoy it. If you can help people, what a thrill, right? I 100% agree yeah. with that. That's super. That's super key for people to write down and, and put into practice. It's um, rap growing rapidly. AI and all the other things are growing rapidly, but there's still that one-on-one -on -one personal contact that makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I'm curious. Uh, let me find this question. Okay, so was the journey exponential for you or was it actually pretty rocky? Like, were there a lot of drawdowns and losses you had to take to to get the lessons that you have now? Oh, yes. There's always been the good and the bad. But one truly nice thing, when you're working with fellow police officers and their families, they respect your wife or your daughter. My daughter's the broker and owner of North Star Properties. Uh, they have a definite relationship with us. And my wife always kids. She says, you know, Brian, it's like a big Italian family. You screwed over one, the whole family's going to know. So we can't tell you how many microwaves, stoves <laughs> we bought at the close of escrow just to make everybody happy, right? 100%. So the rocky roads are, we've seen five different markets. I mean, in the 70s, there was an odd market. The 80s, there was a, a difficult market. We saw interest rates as high as 16% on okay. a family up until 1984 when they came in with the adjustable loans. We saw construction loans at 22%. So what happens is you get these different cycles. So now I say this yeah. is the fifth cycle of our business. You have to learn to adapt. And professionals like us, mm -hmm. you, I, my wife and my daughter and her husband, we learn to adapt. How do you help these people the most? And when we're problem solvers and you create solutions, you create business, don't you? 100%. So you said... Okay, so so that's a good that's a good a good question to kind of segue into. So you've seen so many different markets, right? Could you imagine if they were if they had seventeen percent interest rates? I don't think any houses would sell. Um, but it, it that's the funny <laughs> thing. People eventually adjust. Right now, mm -hmm. seven percent seems horrible. I got seven yeah. percent first home after I got back from Vietnam. Uh, I got back from Vietnam seventy, but nineteen seventy one I bought a home. It was seven percent. My mm -hmm. mom and dad. 53 got a 3% loan. We saw that again a few years ago, didn't we? So it's really? so- I didn't know that. Yeah, oh yeah. In 1953? Yeah. Whoa. Mom and dad got a 3% loan. In 1971, I got a 7% loan. Um, in 1979, 11, 5.8% loan. So, I mean, it just depends on the market, the time and what happens. Remember, people have to buy and sell. There's household formations, people moving up, moving down, transferring, divorce, death, so many variables that you always need real estate because families are growing right now. And you have to know your market. You have to know the trends, but right now we're down 34% in listings over last year. And last year we we're down 20% over the prior year. So you can see that it's called supply and demand. I don't care what the mm -hmm. product is. It's yep. not to satisfy the needs. So even though the rates are high, we can do two, one, three, one buy downs for the first two to three years, things like that can help people, but definitely they do adjust don't they? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, awesome. I completely agree with the adjustments. Yeah. So I all had two and a half percent interest rates. Um, Joyce and I have a 2.75 on our house. Uh, I did a refi uh, with my VA. I thought that was a thrill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No yeah. kidding. No kidding. Wow. So 
I'm curious if you have like a system put in place for adapting these changes. Like with me, when I'm trying to adapt to something in the in a market, I usually like put out a little test feeler or I, I kind of like see what other people are doing and how that, you know, works out. Do you have a specific strategy for like testing different adaptions? Yes. And I think what you said, excellent. Talking to other people, listening to what works for them, attending your multiple listing meetings, attending investment group meetings, attending social events where people's hair are down, going and sitting down with escrow officers and title officers and talking about different factors, sitting down with lenders, actually going through underwriting guideline courses. I've done that. I understand precisely how to finance people, what to do. And we don't have to do wild, creative things like what was done in the 70s and 80s. We can still do very effective, above-board, honest programs. But you got to know what they are. Do you know in the state of California, there are so many down payment assistance programs, you would be surprised. You can actually advertise the listings with 100% financing because you can get a first, second, third. A couple of them can be forgivable from the state of California if they're there three to five years. So if you understand what's available, you research, you educate yourself. Now, knowledge is power, right? hundred percent. So how are you getting this knowledge? Because, I mean, so so to give you a little bit of context, Xander and I are both, well, I'm 21, Xander's 20. Excellent. How are we supposed to go out here and find this information? Because if Xander and I weren't, so Xander and I are pretty heavily involved in the real estate world. I have a couple of short-term rentals um, and, you know, Xander's getting ready to to invest himself. And so- Obviously, we're pretty active in the real estate space, but for people who have no idea where to find this information, how are they supposed to, to actually find it? Okay, very, very good. If you're talking clients, it's one thing. You're talking agents, another, which, which you're going to refer to first. Let's talk about clients. If I, if I was an agent, how am I going to find some clients? Okay, so the agent to find clients has to start with their immediate social circle. All your friends and relatives, you let them know, I'm in business I'm working hard. I will take care of these people. Who do you know who? Who do you? Mm -hmm. And something that's very important, gentlemen. You say, people like to help. It's a natural thing, isn't it? So could you help me? And they look at you and say, yes, I got into the business. I'm a professional. I've taken all my licensing courses. I've, I've, I've got my board. I'm really active in it. But I do need to grow my business. Who do you know who may need to buy, sell, or list? You have to ask that of every single person. Do you know I have had referrals from clients. One client has referred me five people. He's never bought a home from me. So you don't <laughs> always have to have people that are buying and selling from you to your friends and relatives, do they? So your best bet, sleep and breathe it. I also, every time a lender sends a little email saying, hey, we're putting a class on or a title company says we're putting a class on or an escrow officer, I will go to those classes because two values I get out of there. Number one, the social networking alone helps me. If I put an offer in on someone that knows me and that likes me, I've got a better chance than somebody else because, they, oh, we like work with Brian and Joyce and Connie and Josh. We like those. That's a good team. If you go to those events, you become known. You start learning. You'll start gaining knowledge brick by brick to build that foundation. So you have to understand financing. That is a key. If you can't pre-qualify your own client before they go to the lender just to have a basic knowledge, are they in the ballpark? You know, that would not be good. You need to understand that. You need to have the professionals help you. So you need to talk to professionals. The lenders are great. All the people involved in the insurance industries on down. You need to have a referral network of professionals. You sit with Eat, Sleep, Breathe, Talk Real Estate. I have gotten referrals from a half a dozen lenders. I've gotten three wow. banks 
because they worked hard on their transactions to get all kinds of short sales and listings and things of that nature. So it's a matter of keeping as active and letting them know you're in it. You're in it to win it. You're here. You're professional for the long term. And the long term, gentlemen, is the key. People have to know that you're not a kitchen hobby or garage hobby agent that goes in and out of the market because it's bad. And there's even nothing wrong with a part-time agent. I was always a part-time agent as a police officer. My wife and my daughter and everybody else was full-time agents, right? But there's nothing wrong with growing your business to the point you can leave a job once you have sufficient income to cover all your benefits and income. Never leave a job until you can. But you need to keep talking to every single source you have. Go to every training course. If there's anything at your local colleges on lending and financing, take those courses. You're not going to regret it. Now you have something to fall back on. You have information, guidelines, underwriting guidelines. You understand how appraisers work. If you take an appraisal class, that will never hurt you. You do all of these mm -hmm. things to do better than the average realtor. I am not an average realtor. And because of that, we put forth the effort. People know it. And they know you care about them. You know, this is also the most important world. It's paramount. You take care of your clients regardless. You work hard to protect them. The money will always follow but if you only worry about your commission, you're never going to be a success, are you? I 100% agree for sure. So when these clients call you and they have deep problems, I, I've worked with clients a year, year and a half to get their credit straight, to get them lined up to they can buy a home. Or we've helped short sales and in the next two to three years, they're eligible to buy, they buy through us. You have to be able to help these clients and know how to do the solutions. And the only way you know how to do the solutions is you go adapt and learn. You, you know how many realtors don't even own a home or have never bought a rental property and don't have the slightest clue about those things. Mm -hmm. How full you need to understand that. And by buying your own home or by buying your own rental property, investment property, that's what's going to make the key to you making more knowledge. So when we own all these investment properties, people say, how do you do it? How do you manage it? And we said, it's real simple. You just keep on top of it and run it like a business. You run it like a business. I feel like some people don't understand that is that real estate is not, it's not a hobby. It is a business, right? And if you treat it like a hobby, you're going to get paid like a hobby, but you yes. know, genuinely, if you treat it like a business, which it is, your name is your business. You know, the, I think the, the roads are endless. So let me ask this you're, other question. Um, no, you're fine. All good. So, so let me ask another question then. So as a, if, as a real estate agent, right? If I was a real estate agent, if I wanted to keep my current contact base informed, because you said you send everyone, you know, two emails a month. What are you sending them? Are you just saying, hey, it's Brian, don't forget about me? Or are you saying, you know, hey, James, hey, Xander, my name's Brian. Here's a quick update on the real estate market. Here's what's up we, with interest rates. Here's like, what are we doing? We, we have a couple of different systems that we use and my daughter stays on top of the actual companies themselves. But we get mm -hmm. very good newsletters that we send out and the newsletters are gee can i sell you a home it might be about springtime cleaning maintenance it could be about all kinds mm. of things the home ownership and how to look for things and what to do always be available for more information respond to any of those questions that you send out Pick, make follow-up phone calls periodically let's say you have 80 people that you totally listed down in your life what would it hurt for you to call Four of those people a week, not even every day, but just four days a week, call one person and touch bases with them and let them know, by the way, I'm always looking for referrals. I really appreciate it. Who do you know who? Do you know that mm -hmm. that base is always going to remember you? 
And you can feel, well, I better not call this guy, but once every three months, or this person doesn't mind me calling him once every month. You know, it depends on what you want to do. Then as that base grows from 80 to 100 and 150 to 200, you can start again, trying the same thing. So maybe you'll make two calls a day, four days a week. You don't have to be a slave to the business, but you have to be a, a professional day. How many mm -hmm. people in real don't even put in eight hours a day? That's called oh, yeah. a professional. You need to put in eight hours a day. You need to have office hours from start to finish when you're going to be done with your day. It's kind of like that famous military man that said, when you get up, you make your bed. You have a routine that you stick to that you're effective at. It'll get better and better and better, won't we? Right. So, so, okay. So, so you said, let me expand on this a little bit, Brian. So you said, let's say we have 80 people we want to contact. Um, you know, Xander and I just hopped off an interview a couple of days ago with someone who has eight over 800 leads. How, how should we go about that? If we're doing 800 people, like, should we hire someone? Should we just sit down and, you know, call as many as we can a day and kind of time block or, or what would you suggest for some of the, the more experienced guys with, with bigger, you know, banks of contacts? Okay, it's a good question. Let's qualify that 800 leads. What type of leads are they? Have they bought properties before from this person? Are they no? Yeah, so some of them are people who, yes, have bought and sold homes from them. Some of them are investors. Some of them are just, you know, maybe they looked at a home but didn't buy. So, again, based upon who they are and how they are, you have to judge and, and, and calculate how you're going to handle that. So mm -hmm. if I have leads that actually bought homes and, and bought investment properties – that's going to be my first tier. My second tier of groups would be people that have actually shown properties or that person knows that person. Mm. And I can use Mary Gonzalez referred me to you. She said, I can help you. I know Mary may have called you about me. Those are that type of things. You have to have different tiers of who you're going to work. Hot, warm, and cold. Think of it that way. So the hot ones are the real people. They really buy. They're really qualified. The warm ones are the ones they really, really work with. And the cold ones are just drive-by calls on signs and things. So you have mm -hmm. to break that. And you have to make sure that when you when you follow up with people, let's say on a Saturday or Sunday, you did an open house and you met mm -hmm. people and you got appointments with two of them for the next week, one for next Wednesday, one for next Saturday. Well, then Monday, I'm still touching base with them saying I'm following up and doing research. I'm really excited about seeing you Wednesday. I'm really excited on Wednesday to the guy that I'm seeing Saturday. I'm looking forward to you. Any other things you may see? drive by whatever let me know if there's an ad i never i'll do the research so i'm prepared to really give you the good information so i know the values around that area and i can help you that's important isn't it now mm -hmm. there's a book if you wrote this one book down that you would read read chapter three i've i've made probably cumulative over a million dollars off this simple book called how to master the art of selling by tom hopkins tom hopkins was in the 70s and 80s and 90s and i think he's actually still alive probably in his early 80s, but he had a style, a system that was so genuine and so persistent and so consistent. In, in chapter three, he talks about tie-downs. Uh, I'll give you an example real quick. Do we have a second? He said, I had a guy that wanted a two-story house, 3,000 square feet, large acreage, long driveway, lots of trees, and a swimming pool. So I met him out there. <clears throat> it was a single-story house, long driveway, the backyard was full of trees, had no pool. And the guy goes, but this isn't what I want. He goes, didn't you want 3,000 square feet? Oh, yeah. Well, look at this home. All the things you can do. Like, like the foreman, yeah. Goes out in the backyard. There's no pool. He said, look at the size of that yard. We could put a pool here, there, or there, couldn't we? Now, let's count those trees together. One, two, three, hundred trees, you know. The idea is 
he would still try to help them and guide them through. So his book talked about tie downs in chapter three. I talked about and how to master the art of selling. What are tie downs? Instead of saying that's a nice house, isn't that a nice house? That's a big yard. Don't you think that's a large yard? You want to get all the little yeses, isn't it? Shouldn't it? Wouldn't you? Don't you agree? All the little yeses to get the big yes. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For sure, yeah. Gotcha. When I actually interviewed most of my arrestees from rapists, murderers, burglars, you name it, I rarely went to court because I got them almost all to confess. And how I got them to confess is how I treated them, how I talked with them. But I got I used that technique, isn't it? Shouldn't it? Don't you agree? And the next thing you know, they're just blabbing to me. <laughs> <laughs> right. There's a lot of correla correlation between salesmanship wow. and law enforcement in interview techniques. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, awesome. that's wild. That's I actually awesome. have a question. Um, when it comes to spreading yourself kind of wide and learning about a lot of different things that could later on in the long term collectively help you with your real estate, how do yes. you choose what to focus on in depth to learn? And then like how focused do you stay on real estate as, as by itself? It's so, like, for example, I, I like to watch the stock market and I kind of like pay attention to the news and that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I'm interested in real estate. If I, I know that if I focus on investments in the stock market, it's going to probably help me with real estate as well, but it's not fully focused on real estate. What are your thoughts on that? <clears throat> yeah, there's a difference between microeconomics and macroeconomics. So I went to the mm -hmm. Wharton School. <clears throat> I was sent there because I was the chairman of our retirement system here in Fresno for the fire and police. I went mm -hmm. to their advanced management program. And Dr. Jeremy Siegel, who wrote Stocks of the Long Run, evaluated the stock market for 105 years beginning to end was one of our instructors. <clears throat> I still gained from that entire program that was 90% on stocks and bonds and only about 10% on real estate because macroeconomics are important. I read the Wall Street Journal every single morning. I actually get the hard copy paper every single day in the mail and then I read it. And uh, if you get the local paper, we had one called the Fresno Bee, but it was like hundreds of yep. dollars for each newspaper. I put that one. Yeah. Anyway, you need to keep your finger on the pulse locally. How much inventory do we have? How many homes have sold? What's the difference between the sales now over last month over last year? What are the trends? What are the interest rates happening? By reading all these publications like the Wall Street Journal, a little bit of Barron's, listen to the, the business channel on Fox. I'll get a lot of good information from Barney and company in the morning. You still need to know the stock market because a lot of your clients, that's where their money's going to come from, isn't it? So if you're more well-versed and you are being balanced by doing that, be aware of the stock markets, be aware of the real estate, be aware of the trends, the sales, the, the average sales, the median sales, the number of sales, what's working, uh, continue keeping base. Every week you should say hi to at least one or two lenders and find out what they have, what the rates are, have they heard anything. They've got their finger on the pulse too, don't they? So by me continuing to keep those relationships, keep that relationship going, gives me more information to provide to my client base to make me a better mm -hmm. and more effective and wanted agent. I want them to want me. Good. Yeah, for sure. That's super key. Transitioning a little bit. Um, what do you have any like specific goals next year? Like maybe you have a um, a read on the market and you're gonna kind of switch a strategy, or do you kind of just lay back on what systems have proven to work over the long run? It's very fluid. It's a really good question. Nothing's consistent. You have to continue watching, growing, keeping your finger on the pulse. 
adjusting. So if I see right now that the rates are going to drop a percent, that might jar some people who want to do something. If they're going to rise a percent, it may still help other people that want to sell and get their money now and go because they think it's going to get worse, whatever. All of those factors are going to help you advise clients. We never twist arms. We give them information. We educate. We refer them to other professionals like lawyers, accountants, taxes, people, insurance brokers, but we keep our finger on the pulse so I can respond intelligently. What's happening today and what do I think is going to happen in the near future? So, for example, you know, the election's coming in 2024. Historically, mm -hmm. it's a little bit better in the election year, the six months prior to the election, and they get worse right afterwards. So <laughs> what happens? You have to kind of keep tabs on all those things and watch those things. Then you need to print out a chart that shows from 1970 to, 19, to 2023, what are the interest rates and, and, and what did the market do? And you'll see like this inverted lightning bolt where the market started at a house. I can show you a house in 1970 that was $30,000. That's a million for today. So it went up and down, up and down, but like a lightning bolt going up to your right, even the farthest drop, it still comes back. Remember how low it was between 2008 and 2012. We bought a property for 576 that dropped to 365. And today it's back to 800. So again, these are trends you have to watch, research, keep looking at, print out, have available in a little notebook. So when people ask you questions to say, you know, that's a really good question. The rates back in such and such were so much more than they are now. We're terrible now compared to where we were three years ago, but that might have been a Goldilocks period. So we have to really be aware of the trends. And the only way to do that is you keep contacting those people, you keep meeting with those people, your time is valuable, their time is valuable, not waste it, but get that information. So you can help your client say, here's the trend, I think what's gonna happen. Lastly, people will always say, well, I'm gonna wait for the, the $500,000 houses are gonna to drop to 100,000. Well, not realistically. And the reason you tell them that is the, the amount of building and construction that's slowed down, the amount of households growth that is consistently growing, the need to buy is still here. Cost of goods and services have gone way up over the last few years. They're not going to go way down. And so you have to say now is always the best time, isn't it? Yep, for sure. And you place a huge emphasis on having your own connections and knowing who to talk to for to find a certain piece of information. I'm really curious over your long, long history and career, how have you been able, how have you nurtured all the good connections that you've met along the way? Because Something I'm experiencing right now is I'm meeting a lot of people who have a lot of knowledge and I feel like, you know, I'll, I'll request their knowledge at different times, but I need to, I need, do I need to keep in touch to keep them close to me? Or can I just, you know, five years later say, Hey, remember we talked, uh, I have a question. Uh, what really do you, what's your process? Excellent question. You have a circle of influence there. So those professionals and those other contacts that you have, you still make an effort, just like mm -hmm. having you have to make an effort to be friends. If you just sit in your house all day, you'll never have friends. So the same thing goes with our business. If I had that insurance broker that right now in California, you know, the insurance is upside down. Everybody's worried about who's going to cover what. So I'm talking to that person periodically. Yeah. I'm talking to that real estate attorney periodically and that trust and wills attorney periodically. Any differences in things, the taxation issues with the CPA. I wanted to keep those relationships. So you have to make an effort. Maybe it's only a twice a year effort on some. Others four times a year and others at least once a week or once a month, especially the lenders and the escrows and the titles and people that you're dealing with on a daily basis, because all of that little bit of information is going to help you. It's just like appraisals. If I meet an appraiser, 
and I mean every single appraiser at the property. I never let them have access by themselves. They're going to go through me because I'm going to hand them a list of all the improvements. So they're going to walk to that place in five to 10 minutes and not see half of what's there. It, the difference between a $750 toilet and $180 toilet is a lot of money. So when people put investments into their home, and I can show 50, 60, 80,000 worth of investments on a little information. That may help them with homework when they go home, doesn't it? So every contact I have, I work at, I nurture, and it just depends on the value of that information and the currency of the information. Some need, like weekly, you need to say hi to a lender. Lend, lending is in fluctuation a lot, isn't it? Interest rates. So, you know, good. yeah, I mean, I mean, you're, we're obviously spending a lot of time nurturing, right? So, so you, earlier you said that you are, you, you only spend about $4,000 per, you know, annually for your marketing. Is that yes. including nurturing or, or like how yes. much do you spend to actually nurture? Same thing. Uh, maybe have a cup of coffee. I don't do cocktails. I don't do dinners. Um, we'll meet and have a cup. Uh, I just don't have, don't do golfing. I, I'm too for that type of stuff. So I want to have a cup of coffee with someone and say hi. That's fun. Just sit back for a few minutes, maybe 20, 30 minutes, have a good time. They have a good time. You didn't take yeah. too much of that. But you definitely need to, to say, where are my dollars most effectively spent? Do I want to run an ad in a little local newspaper that's a two-inch by two-inch for $175? Or would I rather give out gifts to referrals every single person I, that gives me a referral they're going to get a two to four hundred dollar uh, dinner card because i appreciate that i'd rather give them the money than pay some stupid ad so yep. they know i'm going to be putting money into my police events my community events my children's soccer teams my daughter's gymnastics team i'm going to be doing those type of things to really keep my face out there and help myself but those dollars are, are very precious and i know Agents that spend five and ten thousand a month every single month, they don't make any more money than I do, but they're not putting forth the other effort. Do you want to just write the check or do you want to, to, to actually meet people, say hi to people, and know that people care about you and you care about them because they have a mutual friendship? That that relationship, gosh, belly to belly, eyeball to eyeball, you can never ever surpass. And I don't care all these wonderful internet tools and things we have. You know, we would never pay for a lead. We'll give a referral to a fellow agent at the close of an escrow. I would never pay for stranger danger leads because you don't know who the heck they are. That's that's super key. Like that's probably one of the best pieces of advice I've heard. Um, yeah, that's that's awesome. And don't, don't forget the most important area is farming, social farming and geographic farming. I knew a young guy your age, 21 years old, just got in the business years ago, and he farmed an area of about 400 homes. By the second year, he had a, probably a 40 to 50% market share of all the homes bought and sold in that community. Wow. He door to door, handed out a scratch pad, just a scratch pad, a calendar once a year, maybe a little flag of 4th of July. That was it. But they knew he would have a little information for him with him of what's listed and what's sold in your area. Most people want to know what it was my house worth. What are they going for? Oh, gee, I bought it for $200 worth $420. Mm-hmm. So he was a source of information. He was consistent, knocking on doors, 106 degree heat, whatever. But the fact is, people say, I respect that guy. He's out there. He's, he's earning it. So by the end of the third year, he dominated that 400 neighborhood. And that was his primary source of business. He started brand new and started farming. And farming is so simple. You can track a farm. Your title company gives you these little tools. You know who lives there, when they bought it, what they owe on it. You have two farms, by the way. 20% of those people won't live there. Where do they live? Well, what if the guy owns a home here in Clovis, but he lives in Pasadena? And you mm-hmm. send him a little newsletter about the prices of the homes in that area. Who do you think he's going to contact down the road mm-hmm. because he's consistently getting information from you? 
that secondary farm is the non-owner occupied and people are foolish not to work the non-owner occupied you'll be the only one doing it right Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome, Brian. I appreciate the 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 information, Jenny. I mean, I think I think this is one of the best podcasts we've had. I agree. Um, I agree. I'll, I'll say I'll say that shall, uh, selfishly because I think there's so much value that you have, and and obviously the experience that you have is just it's just a completely new perspective, and that's what I love about this, Brian. Let's kind of transition into uh, into closing here. I want to kind of know what your goals are. You've been in the real estate industry for over two decades. You've you've accomplished you know tens of millions of dollars worth of real estate. What what's next for you? Are you kind of wrapping it up, or you know, you said you eat, I, I, breathe, and live real estate. So what what's up next for you? You know, I I do eat, breathe, breathe real estate, bleed it too, perhaps. But the point is, um, I enjoy it so much that I'll continue to work it a little bit slower with my daughter and her husband because they're building their company, and they're and I'll still be part of the Burry Pritchard team to the day they put the nails in my coffin because I have value. Mm-hmm. And I can consult it. <laughs> I may not have to do quite as much as I did because now my daughter does so much. Connie is such an amazing broker and agent, knowledgeable. She's learned to do flips. She does uh, two or three a year minimum. And she does internal flips, helping clients, consulting with them how to fix their own houses up so they can make them saleable. So what happens is I will continue to grow like that, continue to do that. I did buy a 40-foot diesel motorhome I use about six times a year for little trips. I've got a nice young American Brittany dog that's two years old now, and I'd like to spend time with my dog and my wife. So my <laughs> business will go down about 50% over the next couple of years, but I'll always be that resource and helping my daughter's team grow. And if I have clients that maybe Connie doesn't know, hey, I can go out the first time for the appointment, and she can take over from there, and I'm always available for them to talk to. I've always been great at client development because I care about other people. And they know that you exude it like heat from a radiator when you care about people, right? And you got to be sincere. You got to really be sincere and really care about them for them to care about you. And it's a two-way street. I've had people that are so loyal, unbelievably loyal, and I'm always grateful for that. And I probably had two or three disloyal clients in my entire career. That's awesome. That's awesome. Wow. So, you know, I'm 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 glad that you. You know, you you have your sights on the future, and I see so many people making that mistake. You know what you want. You know what you want to do. You want to eat, breathe, sleep real estate until the day until the day they put the nails on your coffin. Um, yep. You want to hang out with your wife. You want to hang out your, with your dog. Obviously, you've raised your children. I, I'm I'm curious. Did you have just your daughter, or do you have other kids as well? No, I have two sons. I have a son. My oldest boy lives in Chandler, Arizona, and he drives for no the post office. He drives large uh, postal trouble tractor trailer trucks, and they're yeah. going to have. They're a uh, second child, so I'll, I'll have my eighth grandchild. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Middle boy, he was an entomologist, a bug scientist who went into computer uh, IT. He lives down in Laguna Hills. And then my daughter here lives in Fresno, and I live in Clovis. So we're about six miles apart. So my three kids, my my grandkids, my family, it means so much to me. And the real estate has helped us help them because they all own their own properties. They've all done it on their own. And my wife's family properties. They never bought one of their children a property, didn't put one of them through college, and every single one of them probably owns five to ten properties and are successful because the hard work they did on their mom and dad's rentals. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, congratulations to you and your family. It's, yeah. it's it, it definitely it's it's inspiring to see Brian. Uh, you know, I was telling you earlier that you know we're we're young, we're we're fresh in our twenties, so definitely some time for us to kind of build some empires, build our space, and then kind of uh transfer that knowledge to the children because i mean obviously you you did it very very well so um any other questions or anything that anyone wants to say before we wrap it up 
Yeah, I have to compliment both of you. This type of forum is very essential. It's very important, both for other agents and your growth. And I really admire that you're taking the time and spunk to do it. And I really uh, hats off and salute you for it. Awesome. I appreciate, appreciate it, Brian. A hundred percent, especially coming from you. You're, you're, you're definitely a celebrity. You might not be a celebrity in our towns, but uh, <laughs> we definitely, you're, you're a celebrity for, for where you're at, Brian. So that's what we'll go okay. ahead and wrap it up. Um, Brian, thank you so much for hopping onto the podcast. Thank you. Very best to you. If you ever need me again, let me know. I appreciate it. This has been another episode of the Real Estate Experts Podcast. I'm your host, James May and Alexander. This has been Brian Burry. If you guys have any questions, let us know. We'll talk to you soon.